I don't know. I never thought I'd get this far. So this is about as honest and candid as I can possibly get with all of you about what I'm going to spend the next hour or hour and a half doing. Um, so when I started Ulterior back in January, um, something like this was kind of always the goal. I, I didn't know how it would look because back then it was a website, not a podcast. Um... And I just knew, like, the, the the level of influence that the state of the scene has had on me over the last few years, that, like, really, really did something to me. That made me want to achieve something like this. And then last year, in the Discord server for SOTS, um, a couple of us who were active back then, we kind of, like, mimicked their year-end awards, and we would all get into a call for... I think like four days in a week and just, you know, go one by one running off our list of awards and winners and whatnot. And I think that was like the initial like planting of a seed in my head of like, I don't want this to be the only time I do something of this caliber. And, you know, here I am a year later, I'm at the final part of a series that I kind of dreamed of and envisioned all this time. And it's weird. It's really weird to actually, like, achieve a goal. Because I am such a, like, non-driven person, a non-goal-oriented person. I have goals, sure. But a lot of them are, like, kind of just out of reach or, like, not really possible to obtain at this moment. Um, but this was. And I did it. I, or maybe I shouldn't say I did it because I have to get through this episode. But, like, I'm... I'm at the start of the the top 20. I made it this far. I did it. And hopefully you all stick with me for the remainder of this episode and listen to me talk about my 20 favorite songs of the year. And the culmination of that will be number one, the winner of the first ever Levi and Armin Award as part of Ulterior. Um, so this part is going to work a little bit differently than the prior parts. Um, so what I would do from songs 100 to 21 is I would just like say the name of the song and the band and then play a clip and then go into an explanation. Um, for these next 20 songs, I'm going to build them up a little bit. So I'm going to say a couple of things first and then say the name of the, the band and the song and then play a clip. Uh, all the clips up to this point have been like at least around 20 seconds. The clips for this episode will be 30 seconds and then I will take all the time that I want to to actually explain as thoroughly as I can why these are the songs that are, are in the top 20. And again, this will take a while. I do apologize for that. But at the same time, I hope that you can give me a chance to explain everything that I feel the need to as it pertains to 2021 and how that was um, like defined by my music taste and interests. So I'm going to go ahead and get started now with song number 20. Um, so this is 
the hip-hop song of the year, as far as I'm concerned. And it came out back in January, and even hearing it at that time, I had a feeling that it was going to hold up very, very well throughout the year with the genre. And I, by no means, am like... um so well versed in hip-hop these days because i mainly focus on the scene so the only time i really get to listen to hip-hop is when something is like really big to the point where i can't avoid it or it's hip-hop that falls in line with what is happening in the scene um and this particular song falls into that latter category so number 20 is rock bottom by gucci high waters featuring nothing nowhere When I think about the emo hip-hop subgenre and who really shined and rose to the occasion in 2021, the two that come to mind before anybody else, Gucci Highwaters and Nothing Nowhere. So to kind of start the year back in January with this collaborative track, I took that as kind of a sign selfishly that like, this is what I'm meant to do with Ulterior. I am meant to take these artists who people may or may not know about. Um, they're fairly big in our scene, but outside of that, I question like what the reach is or, or the range of like people who don't normally um, assimilate themselves within that scene. Like, are they being exposed to Gucci High Waters or Nothing Nowhere? And so I listen to rock bottom it was on jokes on you which is gucci highwater's record from back in january amazing album incredible work all around um but coming out of that record for the first time i identified rock bottom as for me personally the pillar and the foundation of jokes on you rock bottom is one of those tracks that it kind of like it stings to hear because of the raw emotion being poured out by Gucci Highwaters and Nothing Nowhere during his verse later on, um, I, 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 I felt this song instantly from the moment you hear that like really soft intro that goes into Gucci's initial chorus. It's something that like the impact that the song had on me from the beginning. I've never let that go. I have never forgotten what it was like. I remember where I was. So I was sitting down on my bed in the room that I'm not in anymore in my house and I was listening to the record and Rock Bottom came on. I was waiting for my mom to pick me up because we were going to go like to the mall, I think, and I just let the song play and I I was speechless. Not that I needed to say anything at that moment, but like the only thought running through my mind was this song is fucking stellar. It is absolutely amazing, and again, from that moment in January, I knew that it was going to be something that held up incredibly well all throughout the year. Um, certain lines that Gucci Highwaters kind of repeats uh, throughout the chorus, like um, falling and calling, and the way that they kind of like 
support that chorus, it really, really gives Rock Bottom its own character and a personality that you can find personality on other tracks on Jokes on You, but for me, I look at Rock Bottom and it's so easy for me to say that it is on a level above anything else on that record. Rock Bottom is not only my favorite hip-hop song of this year, it is one of the best hip-hop songs I've listened to in my entire fucking life. It might be my favorite hip-hop song I've heard just in the last couple years, in recent memory at the very least. I think Rock Bottom is the highlight of Gucci Highwater's entire discography. It is the song that I view as like his signature. In the grand scheme of things, it's not. But for me, in my mind, my fucked up mind, Rock Bottom is everything that Gucci High Waters was meant to deliver. Number 19 comes from a band that exists in that like weird uh, amalgamation part of like metalcore and hardcore and the way that those two genres can sometimes blend together. Um, they're, they don't have that much to their name so far. Um, on my phone, their Spotify discography does not even fill up an entire screen. Um, and the material that they had prior to this song being released as a single, I thought was very solid. And I knew that there was potential there, but I was still kind of just waiting for that one track that really, really turned me around on this band and made me view them in a limelight that I hold a lot of other metalcore and hardcore bands in. And when I heard this song for the first time, I was like, what the fuck just happened? Did they really just do that? Did they really just give me a song that is that fucking good? And yeah, they did. And now I'm going to talk about it. Number 19 is Fragments of a Bitter Memory by Dying Wish. I was shaken to my very fucking core the first time I heard Fragments of a Bitter Memory, and that experience of just, like, lying in bed, I was trying to fall asleep, I was like, I can't really sleep, fucking insomnia, whatever, let me check out whatever just dropped on Spotify, oh, Fragments of a Bitter Memory, Dying Wish, okay, let me check this out, it's probably gonna be okay, oh my fucking god, it is one of the best songs I've ever listened to in my entire life. That is as much of like a reenactment as I can possibly give of my initial listening experience to Fragments of a Bitter Memory, which is the title track off of Dying Wish's record from back in October. Um, so like I said, I knew of Dying Wish prior to the single, and I always thought they were solid. I just didn't really think that they were a band that was like delivering material to me at that moment that I was willing to like, you know, champion and like fucking take a bullet for. Um, so the, the other single before this, it was Innate Thirst that came out back in like September, I think of last year, maybe a little bit before that or after that, I can't remember precisely. Um, and I just thought like, yeah, this is good. They'll probably have a record out in 2021 and I'm sure it'll be solid. And just the end result of everything, it was something that I didn't really expect. I very much so wanted this to happen. 
I, I, I love it when those kinds of bands that I can just sense that there's something there to them when they're able to find that extra something and just really, really push themselves to become one of the most elite bands in their scene. Um, and Fragments of a Bitter Memory, the, the heaviness all throughout it, the fucking aggression that it packs, it is one of the most unrelenting songs of the entire year. Just, there is no way to hear this song and just not feel like this fucking sense of rage within you and just want to let loose and i i get so much enjoyment and satisfaction out of listening to fragments and one of the more like shocking elements in it was it's it's, it's very very brief but emma boasters cleans that come in just for like a few seconds a few short seconds but it's those short seconds that really tell me that there is something extra to this band in terms of layers that i never even knew about emma sounds amazing whether she is singing or screaming this woman just like elevates this band to a, a, another stratosphere and i cannot express like what that that initial listen of fragments meant to me and what every listen afterwards since july has meant to me fragments of a bitter memory is one of those songs that you know years from now i'm gonna look back on 2021 and it is going to be one of the first ones that come to mind i know it's 19 but it is going to be at the forefront of my brain for a very very long time because of just like how impactful it was on me this year so with number 18, I want to bring up something that I didn't really even consider before getting into this list. And that's kind of strange to me because I'm like such a big numbers guy when it comes to the statistics that bands are pulling in, whether that be through Spotify or YouTube or whatever else. Um, so there are artists that I've talked about today and uh, the rest of the week who their li listener count, that monthly listener count on Spotify, they're ranging like you know, a couple hundred thousand, in some cases, millions. And I was curious about number 18. And I was like, I wonder how many monthly listeners they have right now. As of this recording, 410. There are, according to Spotify, on that platform, 410 people who regularly listen to this band every month, myself being one of them. Um, their most streamed song has 9,400 streams. And that is kind of astounding to me considering just like how talented i think this band is and i also understand in this process like me talking about this next song this is likely going to be the first time that anyone listening to this show hears about this band hears about this song and so i feel like there's like added responsibility on my end now to really sell all of you on this next track number 18 is picture perfect by mallory run I'm going to point out a couple things about Mallory Run from their Spotify bio. The first sentence in the bio calls them the emo rock scene's best kept secret. And after hearing this song, I have no reason to not agree with that statement. 
Um, it also says that they have been influenced by acts like Boston Manor, Knuckle Puck, Movements, and the story so far. And they were initially formed through a mutual love for Citizen. So if any of those five acts are acts that you hold close to you, Mallory Run is a band that you really, really need to check out. Like, you need to go out of your way to listen to them. Um, they... So they've been around since 2015, according to this bio. Um, the numbers do not reflect the talent and effort that they have put into establishing themselves. Um, so Picture Perfect was an EP that this band dropped on May 21st. And I remember coming across it. I want to say it was through Dreambound's channel on YouTube, but that also doesn't really sound right. I don't actually know fully and in a concrete uh, thought process like how I even found this EP, but I'm so fucking happy that I did because it allowed me to listen to, at the very least, the, the title track, Picture Perfect. And it's the opening song, so from the moment I heard that song, I felt like I had accomplished everything that I wanted to with discovering this new act, and I was given a song that just meant the absolute fucking world to me, and it couldn't have come into my life at a better time, considering like what I was feeling in, you know, the days and the weeks after Mikasa's passing. It was just one of those songs that, like, I, I felt just enter my heart from the fucking moment I heard it. I knew it was going to be something that doesn't just exist in my brain as like a chorus. It's going to exist in my heart as a mindset. Um, and. I'm going to read off some of the lyrics from this track. I tried picking up where we left off, but feelings change and a smile is not enough. Constantly lied to, but holding on, staying silent for far too long. The level of emotion found not only in the lyricism and the delivery of the lyrics, but also the instrumentation. This song has like that kind of emotional, instrumental backing going on that really lends itself to the vocal delivery and how everything sounds like so like dreary and tired. But at the same time, for me, someone who listen who's listening to this song, feeling the these kinds of emotions within me, it is so just rewarding and satisfying to be able to hear a song that again, not only lyrically, but sonically feels like it is on the exact same wavelength as whatever is going on in my brain. Picture Perfect was the exact song I needed to help carry me through this year, the most difficult year of my life. I, um, I, I don't think this is hyperbole what I'm about to say. My year, 2021, is actually shittier if I do not come across Picture Perfect by Mallory Run. Guys, I... I, f I feel stuff in my head now. I, I feel a headache coming on. My fucking hands are shaking. Like, I... I is this is this passion? Is this what that feels like? Is this what, like, it, it, it feels like to be so just consumed by something that you, you love so much? Um... I've honestly, I, I haven't had this feeling yet on this podcast ever. Um, you know, I just got through talking about three of my favorite songs, not only of the year, but in history. And I just feel like I'm letting so much off of my shoulders and my chest. Like, that that's not an exaggeration. Like, this is crazy. This is really, really fucking wild. And there are still 17 more tracks to go. Um... So, number 17 comes from 
one of the biggest bands in metalcore right now. They put out one of the biggest metalcore records of this year. And there are so many songs off of this album that I could have picked for this list. And, you know, if somebody wants to put a song that isn't on my list on theirs, I totally get it. I really, really get it because I feel like this was a perfect record and you literally cannot go wrong with naming any of these tracks your favorite of the year. But there were just some elements about this particular song that I thought put it just, if anything, slightly above most of what was on that record. Number 17 is The Shower Scene by Ice Nine Kills. I don't know if there was a band this year that I was more impressed with than Ice Nine Kills, and for me to say that, I feel like that's actually kind of astounding, given that there was nothing for this band to prove this year. They've already done that. Um, their discography is already loaded with some of the best metalcore songs I've ever listened to. Um, the concepts that this band explores, you know, people can say what they want to about it. You can call it gimmicky, you can call it corny, cheesy, whatever you want to do. I'm not denying that all that might be true, but... I also don't think that it can be denied the level of talent and ability found within Ice Nine Kills. And I think a song like The Shower Scene just really, really puts on display what it is that makes this band so incredible and why I love them so much. So The Shower Scene admittedly is one of the more, like, I guess, light and tame songs on Welcome to Harwood. Um, when I think people think of like light and tame songs from Ice Nine Kills, they look back on The Silver Scream 1 from 2018 and they hear a song like Savages, which, um, I like Savages personally. I understand why people don't though. Um, however, I think the shower scene is the kind of track that it, the, the way that it's structured and laid out and just the execution on all fronts from everybody in the band. If you say you don't like the shower scene, I, no. Nah, just, just no. I really, really don't get that. Um, so the shower scene is based off of, so, okay, every song, all but two on Welcome to Horrorwood are based off of different horror movies. The shower scene is based off of Psycho. Um, pretty evident from the name shower scene, but I should also just, I guess, still point that out. And there is this indirect correlation, I think, that was established with the shower scene in the sense that the, the title of the song is referencing a specific scene from Psycho, and it is one of the most iconic scenes in all of cinema. And in that same breath, Ice Nine Kills established one of the most iconic courses in their entire catalog. Just the way that it is built up initially from that like slow, almost like soft, softly spoken intro, and then it just goes right into the chorus, and Spencer just lets his vocal cords just shine and flow in this eloquent manner that you can hear from him time and time again, but it's still so just, like, mesmerizing to hear somebody with his abilities do something like this. I hope saying goodnight doesn't mean saying goodbye. Now under the pressure we're drowning together, going down the drain tonight. Just, like, again, lyrically, it pays homage to Psycho in the exact manner that I would imagine people who are fans of the movie and the band feel proud of, 
Um, for me, who doesn't really have an attachment to the movie itself, I can still like picture the shower scene because I have seen the shower scene on YouTube, the actual shower scene from Psycho, not the song. Um, I've seen it on YouTube and I can like picture that black and white imagery while this course is playing and it just like fits into the entire like, um, directoral narrative of that movie scene so fucking well and i think that is like one of the things about ice and kills that people need to praise need to respect need to gas up and put on a pedestal because they are doing this shit better than almost every other band in the world and if somebody told me that they're doing it better than they are doing it better than every band in the world i wouldn't argue with that point because i totally understand where they're coming from the shower scene does have a breakdown later on and again it is kind of light and tame compared to some of the heavier moments that you can find on Welcome to Harwood, but me saying that it's light and tame just in comparison does not mean that it is light and tame in general. It is a fucking heart-pounding, just like earth-shaking breakdown that again leads back into this chorus that I cannot get enough of. I cannot say enough good things about the chorus and what the shower scene achieved in terms of like leveling Welcome to Harwood up, but at the same time, just giving me something that made me even more fulfilling and proud to say that I Sign Kills is one of my favorite bands of all time. Not just like right now, but like in history, the amount of time that I've spent dedicating myself to this weird ass music scene, I can honestly say now that I Sign Kills is one of the absolute best bands to ever pick up instruments. Number 16 is going to come from a band that has been around for a while now. And by that, I mean literally almost two decades. So they were around back when I was like initially getting into the scene and I've known of them since that moment, but I don't think I've ever like really, really just given them the proper time and attention. And when they dropped a record back in March of this year, I kind of had like some, I guess, homework to do in terms of like understanding more precisely who they were. And I I felt like I was going into this particular record of theirs with just enough knowledge to at least be entertained with what they were doing. I didn't expect to come out of this record thinking that I was going to have something that I could champion as a top 20 song. And then I heard one of the tracks on there and it kind of clicked in my head like, this is something that I really need to just like kind of keep on um, championing, keep with me because my love for it already feels exponential and it only has the ability to grow and it did fucking grow it grew to the point where i'm sitting here right now ready to tell all of you about why this is one of my favorite songs of the year and in the grand scheme of things one of my favorite songs ever number 16 is commit by tiger's jaw One of the cool aspects of Tiger's Jaw is that they have like trading vocalists, not dueling vocalists necessarily, but trading vocalists in the sense that uh, between Ben and Brianna, one will have like an entire song to themselves and then on the next track it could be the other or just like some, you know, patterning of that sort. And I read something somewhere where Ben said that when Commit was being put together, he was initially the one that was going to be singing on it. And then he realized throughout the track, like, this is Brianna's song. This is, this fits what she does. It is meant to be her track. And 
I think that worked out tremendously well because for as much as I like Ben as a vocalist, I listen to Commit and I can't really envision or imagine hearing what this song would have turned out as being if he was the one carrying the vocal performances. Brianna was meant to sing this song. This is her track. Um, Commit... Okay, so firstly, I think Tiger's Jaw feel like the unsung heroes of the emo genre. They are one of those bands that for like the the length that they've been together and the amount of material that they have to their names there isn't really a correlation between that and their popularity or their reach they have like around like i think 300,000 listeners on Spotify right now which is great but again they formed in 2005 they really really have like taken some kind of an emo mantle or an indie rock mantle ever since then and they still feel like one of those bands that kind of exist underground in some way so that is a shame, and for that reason, I know that not as many people this year are going to hear Commit as, like, really should, but Commit is one of those songs that I cannot gas up enough. I cannot just possibly, in the amount of time that I'm giving myself on this episode to talk about Commit, I can't possibly explain every single thing I want to about why I love this song so much and why I really, really strongly believe it is one of the best songs of 2021. So Commit is... Just like I said, with indie rock and emo, it has that tone all throughout it. It is in no way a heavy song. It is very just like calm and soothing. And that nature, along with Brianna's incredible range, really, really allows the lyricism to just shine in this track. Um, so l- let me take the pre-chorus for instance. Let's play Force Love and see what happens. Pick a lock, maybe you'll find your way in. It hurts when it works for one and not the other. Opposite from these plans where we started. For me personally, when I see that line, let's play Force Love and see what happens, pick a lock, maybe you'll find your way in. The thing that comes in my head is like, um, I don't know how many people here have ever played like Ace Attorney, but the, uh, the cycle locks that are in that game and how like you need to like carefully try and pick at these mental locks with people. That is what I envision when I hear commit. And that kind of like is how I'm able to relate the track to myself. Um, the chorus only like becomes more beautiful from that point on. An eclipse only shines from a distance. You can't make sense of a world you're not in. If you wanted to ask for forgiveness, then commit and say it. So that one of the lines right there. You can't make sense of a world you're not in. That stuck with me, dude. That like tattooed itself on the like my frontal lobe. That was everything to me this year. You can't make sense of a world you're not in. And I think that inability to make sense of something that I am not a part of, like that kind of led me down the path that I have this year towards like trying to get legitimate help for the things wrong with me mentally for the first time in my life and granted you know it was my cat's passing that was like the kind of kind of the catalyst for me to actually seek out therapy but again something like that particular line you can't make sense of a world you're not in i really really feel like that was just planted in my head and it was just always repeating and repeating and repeating until i finally decided to do something about it Commit is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever listened to in my life. Just everything about it for like, as like, I don't want to say painful as it is, but just like as truthful as it can be at times. And, you know, a lot of us who go through these things, we don't want to hear the truth, but Commit kind of put me in a chair and just made me feel these emotions within me that I've kind of been suppressing. And I cannot thank Tiger's Jaw enough for delivering Commit to me in the way that they did at the time that they did, because... I don't know what my life looks like this year without commit, and that's no cap. I'm being completely 100% fucking honest with all of you. Number 15 comes from a band that I've talked about already in this series, 
And I refer to them as the band that is doing that like post-hardcore revival sound better than anybody else in the genre right now. And this particular song I'm going to introduce right now, I think is the best display of why I feel that is the case. Number 15 is Sweet by Static Dress. Sweet is the only song from Static Dress out this year that was not a part of Prologue, and I understand why, because Prologue is like a very uh, specific concept as it pertains to the comic book that's attached to that release, but for me, I just feel like even with all of the work that went into Prologue, and for as much as I adore it, it's probably going to be Sweet that I think of immediately whenever I hear the terms Static Dress and 2021 in some kind of a back-to-back combination of each other. Um, so Sweet dropped at the start of June, and this is like kind of around the time that I'm really just like lost and I, I don't really know anything. So, you know, I, I had lost my cat a few weeks before that. Uh, the song came out June 3rd. June first or second i can't remember like which day was a wednesday that week that was when i went to a clinic and i was uh diagnosed with anxiety which i've known this whole time i had but like i was actually given a proper diagnosis and i was prescribed medication for the first time with it and that was really really scary because i have just kind of been the person who has refused medication and just in general help for so long and I really remember that there were two songs that week that I was kind of able to latch myself onto and just for at least a brief moment forget about what I was feeling, all the anxiety, all of the just skepticism in my mind about like, am I going to be okay? One of the songs, it's still to come on the list, I will talk about it later on. The other one was Sweet, and Sweet meant so much to me because I like I saw Static Dress was dropping something and I was like, fuck yeah, this is it. Like, I need this right now because Static Dress, they're one of my favorite bands in the world right now and they have been for a while now. Um, just like everything that they mean to me and the way that they're able to provide for me the kind of songs that, like, there is no difference between how, um, you know, 12-year-old me and 26-year-old me would grasp these songs. No matter my age, I know, like, if Sweet was a song in 2007 and I, I, I would have fallen in love with it, I would have made it my MySpace song, I would have tried learning it on guitar so I can play it in fucking mariachi class like everybody would. Um, well, not, everybody who had a guitar in that class would try and play like fucking Metallica or Led Zeppelin or whatever. Like, I was the one that was trying to learn fucking scene songs. Sweet would have been my song in that perspective era, uh, respective era, I mean. Um, just in the same way that it is my song in this era, it is my song in this day and age, Static Dress is my band. Sweet, it never, like, lets itself off the gas pedal, and I say that with respect to the idea that it's not heavy all the way through. It is, it is heavy in some instances, because Static Dress is that kind of a band, but then in particular parts of the, of the verses, 
it's kind of scaled back. All that really supports it in certain areas is just a drum beat and Ollie Appleyard's amazing clean vocals. And then when the chorus comes in, I truly believe this is the best chorus that Static Dress have ever written. Throw it into fifth, give me so much more, this is nothing new, came so close to keep thinking, is this nightmare over, feet off the floor, nails through the bed, crying in laybys, throw it into fifth and you'll see that there's nothing to lose. I, I listened to that chorus and just the way that it's laid out, not only lyrically, but just also the instrumentation behind it and how it feels so massive because on, on a Saturday songs that I love, such as like, a, or before this one, like, um, For the Attention Of or, um, Adaptive taste, while those choruses are so catchy, they're also chaotic with how the instrumentation brings everything to the forefront of those songs. With Sweet, that instrumentation, it's really, really scaled back, and it's one of the first instances of a Satin chorus I've listened to where Ollie just kind of gets that free reign to just like shine and be the star of that moment. And I think it paid off tremendously well. Again, this is one of the best courses of not only like static dresses uh, tenure, but the entirety of the scene this year. Sweet is the kind of song that I can just listen to in any particular moment, no matter how I feel, and get lost in it and just remind myself why I love this medium so much. And it's not only Sweet that is doing that for me, but it is static dress as a band overall that continues to do that for me time and time again, and I am so eternally forever thankful for them for that. So now that we've reached number 14, I want to say briefly right now that from this moment on, every song was considered for number one. So there were points in the year where every song that is about to be mentioned from 14 onwards, I looked at it and thought, can I make an argument for why this is the song of the year? And for all 14 of these tracks, I was able to. So it was a real challenge to put these 14 songs in order while also just like trying to get across to all of you that at any given moment this year any of these 14 could have been number one so the actual number 14 song is from a band who i my love for this band just like seemed to grow and grow all throughout this year um their record dropped back in February, and that really gave it time to, like, settle in and for me to spend all year kind of using it as sort of like a default record. So in the sense of, like, when I'm done with reviews for the weekend, I need something to kind of default to and be like a palate cleanser. This record and songs from this band acted as that for me. And there was one specific song from them this year that I went back to so often, so fucking just like over and over again because of the connection I was able to establish with it almost immediately. Number 14 is Bury Me Alive by Normandy. Bury Me Alive, I think at this point, if I'm not mistaken, is the first number one Scenic Overlook song that I've mentioned in this top 20 portion at this point. Um, it dropped back in the middle of February as part of Dark and Beautiful Secrets. Bury Me Alive was never a single, so that makes it a deep cut, and it is 
as just uh, outstanding and impressive and amazing as you could ask for any deep cut to be. So the the, the thing about Bury Me Alive is that <clears throat> it's not exactly like so different from anything else that Normandy is doing on this record or even White Flag from 2018. It it does fit in perfectly with everything else that the band has been doing, but there's still something about the execution to Bury Me Alive that I'm able to hear, and it's like, there's just something, like, uh, it, it's so hard to explain, like, what makes this song so unique compared to everything else that they've done, but it, it's a, it's an, um, an attachment that I was able to identify immediately, um, so one of the, one of my biggest memories with this track is that Dark and Beautiful Secrets released, uh, February 19th, and that was at the end of the week where there was a snowstorm in Texas, and, like, things were closed and people had no power for however long they didn't it, w- it was absolutely abysmal it was horrible and I-, I guess like having no certain resources during that time it allowed me the either luxury or unfortunate ability to just sit with my thoughts and kind of think about a lot of things put certain things into perspective and it was a time where I just kind of just isolated myself into darkness in a way, both like literally and metaphorically. And at the end of that, you know, metaphorical tunnel, I had a song like Bury Me Alive waiting for me to listen to as part of Dark and Beautiful Secrets. And just from the immediate first verse, like the words that Philip is getting out. I turned every page and I burned every bridge, but it left me crucified. I got trapped in a maze like a rat in a cage waiting to die. And it, these lyrics are supported by a very just like straightforward alternative rock song that in some instances for some listeners, that sound can kind of mask what is actually being said here. Question everything I ever known. Can't pretend that I am not alone. You were selling a lie that I bought. Now I'm caught in the middle, the middle ground. And again, everything that he's saying here, it does kind of fit into what like, my own mental state at that time was given the amount of time that I had to just sit with myself and be this brooding dark person externally and internally that I knew I've, I've been this whole time. And then the, the pre-chorus mentioned something on like the genius annotation that I didn't think about, but like understanding it now, it kind of helps elevate, uh, bury me alive to a level that I even I'm surprised that I was able to put it on right now. So, in the pre-chorus, Philip is whispering the line, I guess I'm not going to heaven now. And there's an annotation on Genius submitted by, I think, a user, a random user, that says that verse, or that particular line in the pre-chorus, it could be a reference to a song off of Normandy's last record. The song was called Heaven, and in that song, Philip was, like, begging for God to take his soul to heaven, Someone help me now, because heaven isn't taking my soul. And to go from that moment in 2018 to now, where Philip is saying, I guess I'm not going to heaven now, we kind of learned that in that time between White Flag and Dark and Beautiful Secrets, whatever help he was asking for, he didn't receive. And so now it's kind of like, oh, well, I guess this is what's going to happen to me. You know, this thing I really wanted, it wasn't answered. So here's what has to happen now. I've been staring at a hole in the ground, wanna scream but I ain't making a sound. If heaven is a hotel six foot deep and hell's where I go when I'm asleep, bury me, bury me alive. The idea that's presented there, 
if heaven is a hotel six foot deep and hell is where I go when I'm asleep, that was, I hit my microphone, I'm so sorry. That was one of those, like, moments in a song that I was kind of just able to, like, let settle in my brain all year and just really, really try and analyze and figure out, like, how can I relate that to myself? Because I totally can. I really, really feel like I can. And I kind of just look at things right now in terms of, like, um, like, life purpose and all that stuff in a very middle ground phase. And I appreciate, uh, Normandy and this song particularly mentioning the middle ground during the, the first verse, because that is kind of where I identify this journey that I'm on right now to try and just like figure out what is happening around me. What is the meaning and the purpose behind all this? And I really, really can't answer it, but I feel like with a track like bury me alive, I kind of am understanding a little bit about that puzzle. I'm kind of starting to take certain steps to understand what it is that I feel like I'm meant to do on this planet. And to have a song like Bury Me Alive that can speak to me in that manner, and not only because of its lyricism, but also just the way that it sounds. The song is massive. It is just giant. It's so catchy, so infectious. The energy all throughout it, it never once lets down. It is so just anthemic all the way through. And I think, like, looking at Normandy's entire body of work this year, the incredible body of work that they put out there, Bury Me Alive is the song in their catalog that I want to point out as being this pivotal moment for me. So, number 13 was the first song that ever ranked number one in Scenic Overlook, and according to Spotify Wrapped, it was my most played song of the year, and I totally understand why, and I do believe that is true. Number 13 is Obsolete by Of Mice and Men. Obsolete marked not only the official beginning of the Song of the Year race, technically, because it was number one in Scenic Overlook on week one, I was doing that. It also marked the beginning of a completely new era for Of Mice and Men. So, for as long as the band had an audience and they were a prominent act in our scene, they were part of Rise Records. And then when Obsolete dropped back in January... It came with the announcement that they were now on Sharptone Records. Sharptone being one of those labels that I think right now in this day and age is so like forward thinking and is a crucial part to the development of the bands that hopefully are going to take the mantle in the scene moving forward. So I think it's really cool for a veteran band like a Mice Man to be on Sharptone. But at the same time, with this new adventure of theirs came the revitalization of their careers because of Mice and Men for the last couple of years, I think they have kind of more often than not missed the mark when it comes to delivering material that I believe is up to par with some of their prior stuff. And then obsolete dropped and I heard it at midnight when it dropped or 11 PM central. Cause I am a Texas bitch. Um, I heard the song and as soon as that chorus came in and Aaron's cleans just like take over the entire track, I was like, this is it. They, they got me. They're back. A Mice and Men is once again one of the best bands in the world. And to have that feeling for 
this band that I admire so much, it was so just rewarding and fulfilling and cathartic in a lot of ways because for as long as I can remember, my favorite band in the scene has been Bring Me The Horizon. I will not lie to all of you though, there were points in 2014 coming off of Restoring Force where I truly believed like there was going to be a shift in the tides and I was going to give that title to Of Mice and Men. It ended up not happening, but Of Mice and Men came as close to to for me dethroning bring me the horizon as any band ever has and i feel so thankful and grateful that i can look at them in a similar limelight now and obsolete was the official start of that so many of the other tracks from a mice man throughout the year like timeless anchor bloom uh, echo title track i really really enjoy all these tracks immensely i think this is the best year for a mice man since 2014 but obsolete is the one that i look at and you know, it helps that it came out in January, but it is the most defining song, or one of the most defining songs, rather, of my year for me. Um, a, having the ability to take it from January and bring it all the way into December, and at no point ever was this song out of my rotation. It was always a track that I went back to time and time again because of the just energy rush that it gave me, that ability to just put on this track, get lost in the heavy instrumentation of the verses, and then get to the chorus and just like sing along with Aaron to everything that he's resonating with obsolete um I think during the bridge like that uh like changing of the pace per se that it gives you and just like that moment to breathe and really take in what you heard before throwing you back into the deep end with one more chorus obsolete is one of the most well-structured of my cement songs I've ever listened to one of the most well-written well-produced just overall one of the top songs i've ever heard from one of the top bands of the last 10 years in my opinion even if i just said like some of their material wasn't really up to par um obsolete and then the preceding eps and then ultimately the album echo it kind of fixed everything in my opinion that was maybe going wrong with the camp of, of mice and men obsolete just set the pace for the entire year for me it made me understand very very early on that this platform is worth my time it is worth me getting invested in the scene in these bands and these songs and these records for the purpose of being able to come on to this podcast and tell all of you guys about tracks like obsolete and what they mean to me number 12 comes from an artist who had i been doing this podcast and ultimately the ulterior platform altogether as far back as 2018 she would be probably the most decorated artist in the history of Ulterior because every year she does something and I feel so connected to it and obligated to just like you know shout out to the fucking sky how much her material means to me and the versatility of her is something that I want to really really get across and how even with tracks on a record this year that are kind of different from what she had been doing I was still able to just find something with this material that really really spoke to me and I carried with me everywhere and I feel just like honored and privileged that I've been able to hear number 12 is so mean by poppy Poppy had two full-length projects this year, 
eat and flux eat fits so perfectly into that chaotic style of poppy that i have come to know and love over the last few years ever since am i a girl and then flux went into a different direction where things don't necessarily get less heavy per se but just like there's not so much chaos going on everything is kind of controlled but there's still so much of what makes poppy who she is present on these tracks and i think that was no more apparent than on so mean so mean is honestly the catchiest song i listen to all year i can say that definitively even though there are 11 more songs to come none of them have hooks that just like stick into your head the way that so mean does and all it really does is just like follow this simplified pattern of repeating the line over and over again how did she get so mean but it's the way that poppy executes that line to pure fucking perfection that i think really really elevates so mean to a level where i am willing to call it one of the best songs that poppy has ever written and you know i mentioned this about chase atlantic on the prior part of this installment of the series i mean that to me that means something for me to say that so mean is one of the best songs poppy's ever written because all poppy does is seemingly write songs that i can say are among the best work she has ever done but so mean and the level of catchiness that it employs the infectious nature of this track i just felt like not really like uh different about this song compared to any other poppy song but I can't compare So Mean to any of the other songs of her that I feel as strongly and passionately about. You know, there is a clear difference between So Mean and, like, Concrete or Play Destroy or anything like me. Or, um, Don't Ask, which was my number two song off of, um, the, uh, like, the year-end stuff I was doing last year. So Mean just carries with it this nature that... I think really, really proves that there is no end to the versatile range that Poppy has shown ever since Am I a Girl. This woman is just putting out the quality that, like, you can't just ask a, an artist for. Like, it's either there or it's not there. And Poppy has shown time and time again that it is there every fucking instance that she goes into a studio to record something. So Mean is one of those tracks where... I feel like I can just get lost in and just like nod my head to and not really like be so invested in like what is trying to tell me on a spiritual level. It is just there for me to enjoy and embrace. And I really, really try to live in the moment whenever I'm hearing so mean and just repeating myself over again, over and over again. How did she get so mean? How did she get so mean? How did she get so mean? Bitch, I don't fucking know how you got so mean, but you did. And I'm grateful that you did. So now number 11. And I guess just by virtue of like the way that year end lists are normally structured for people. This would considered or be considered to be the runner-up for the top 10. And I looked at this song, and honestly, maybe songs like 11 through 8, I was kind of just like interchanging time and time again. And so this song was in the top 10 for a bit, and I really, really, really wanted to get it into the top 10, and I fucking hated having to push it down to 11, but like I want to emphasize now, it being 11 and being the quote-unquote unofficial runner-up, that does not make mean that I look at this song in any less of a manner than I do any of the 10 songs that are going to surpass it on this list. This is one of my favorite songs ever. I have thought time and time again, is this the best Swancore song I've ever listened to? Because it really, really might be, even with the material that, you know, other bands in the Swancore genre, namely Dance Game and Dance, have put out, you know, time and time again, this is still up there and i really really do have to think like just what extent does my admiration for this track really really go 
Number 11 is Mutual Fear by Idola featuring John Mess from Dance Gavin Dance. Dance Gavin Dance is the biggest, most successful swancore band ever made. They're kind of the ones that like gave the genre its name. And I have always been of the mindset that like it would take a very, very, very special band to kind of take that throne per se from them. And it wasn't until this year when Idola dropped The Architect and I listened to the record time and time again and understood that I don't, as of right now, I don't view Dance Gavin Dance as being like the pinnacle or the pillar of Swancore. For me right now, it's Idola. And there is no song that exemplifies why I believe that's the case better than Mutual Fear. Even if Mutual Fear does feature John Mess, who again is literally part of Dance Gavin Dance, and so is Andrew Wells, the vocalist of Idola. He's also now a full-time member of Dance Gavin Dance. But just from what I observed all throughout this year and from the quality of the tracks that Idola delivered to us, I cannot see how you do not view this band in the absolute just positive and brightest of fucking limelights out there right now idola and specifically on mutual fear show a prowess in swancore that bands who you know idolize dance gavin dance and get into this genre because of them they dream of and not to say that no one's ever come close you know because i do champion bands like wolf and bear and dwellings and i think that they are great idola just delivered something with mutual fear that is so just special to me and something that i really really think is so definitive of their careers and mutual fear is laid out like kind of i guess any other swan core song if you really want to just say that but it's the the level of talent here the execution from every member of the band and the idea of like just that this song could just come to me at a time where i didn't really know how i was going to feel about the architect because the architect had the quote unquote i guess unfortunate duty of dropping the same day as eternal blue by spirit box and swan song by the plot new and those are two of my most anticipated records of the year i would put the architect easily in the same conversation as them when it comes to like the records that week that really 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 define what it is i love so much about scene music so mutual fear it's heavy it's energetic it's chaotic it's catchy it's fucking infectious andrew's clean parts i can imagine like just singing out loud to myself i have in the past it's really really cool um the the, the portions of the track where like things are kind of slowed down just slightly it builds itself up for the track to just come back in at full fucking force the moments where the instrumentation like really starts to like get like just all over the place and wild and like really really embody swan core it fits so perfectly into whatever andrew is doing vocally at those points in the song the amount of twists and turns found in Mutual Fear is nothing that I don't expect from Swancore, but even like with that understanding, when a band is doing the sound as fucking well as Idola do on Mutual Fear, it requires me to just like take a step back and really analyze what's happening and be like, holy shit, there really are people out there in the scene that I cover that are this goddamn fucking talented. And I adore Idola so much for what they did. I believe mutual fear is one of the best songs of the year one of the best songs of the decade one of the best songs i've ever listened to and like i said initially i really really have these thoughts in my head 
is this the best swan core song i've ever listened to even with the knowledge that in 2016 i named my song of the year chucky versus the giant horse by dance given dance is mutual fear better than it it really really might be what are we at now almost an hour well, I'm pretty sure when I go back and I implement the song clips in, it probably will be over an hour by this point. And yo, I'm I'm spent. I'm I'm so drained and honestly shaking. But like you know, you know that Kobe video where he's like, Job's not finished, job's not finished. Is job finished? I don't think so. That's how I feel right now. Um we gotta keep going. Literally top ten. I'm fucking shaking right now. I'm looking at my hand. This is crazy, dude. Oh my god, top ten. The 10 best songs of the year, in my opinion. Out of everything I listened to this year, all like roughly 4,000 songs, these are the top 10. Okay, holy shit. Um, man, this is insane. I, I actually do want to cry, and I feel like I might once I get towards number one. Maybe during number one, that's when it's going to happen, and I, if that happens, I apologize ahead of time, but, you know, I can't really control, like, how passionate I feel about all this stuff. Um... Okay, number 10. This comes from, in my opinion, the rookie band of the year. The way that they kind of just like came out of seemingly nowhere and on their first try, deliver a song that I feel this connection to, like, or this like astounding level of a connection to. And I knew just from like fucking previews on Twitter that I was going to feel this way about this track. And ultimately for me to end up having it be this high on the list, I feel is just so earned and well-deserved from a band that showed not only all the potential in the world this year, but the fulfillment of that potential at the same time. Number 10 is Burn by Cherry Amore. So I'm trying to like put dates back into my brain right now. Ju uh, June 3rd, I want to say that was a Thursday and I would have been sitting in my mom's apartment because I was still kind of going there in the immediate aftermath of losing Mikasa. And I remember just like scrolling Twitter that day and Equal Vision had posted this like short clip of a music video that was going to be dropping the next day. And it was for a new signing of theirs called Cherry Amore. And I saw the, the tweet and I was just like, okay, new band, that that's pretty cool. Let me listen to this because I'm pretty sure I'll end up uh, reviewing it for my weekly singles reviews. And the, the clip was for the second chorus of this track. And I remember just listening to it and just being of the belief that I had like uncovered this gem that no one else knew about and or seemingly no one else knew about. And I just had like this really dumbass smile on my face and I was like, this is fucking incredible. So just, just to kind of like put that into like a perspective, I guess I use the feature on Twitter where like you can move a video into like a small little box on the bottom of the screen and keep scrolling. I did that for burn. I wanted to just like keep hearing the song while keep uh, continuing to go through social media. And I was just playing that small clip over and over and over again. 
And I can't tell you the last time I did that for a band or anything like that. It might have been in 2007 when there were like these small little clips of every song off of Avenged Sevenfold's self-titled record. And I kept listening to those clips over and over again. And I did that with Burn because I truly believed that this was going to be one of the best songs of the year. And then once I actually had the full song the following day, I just listened to it on repeat, nonstop, could not believe what was happening. Couldn't believe that there was a band that just like, you know, first official uh, song under the Cherry Moore name, and they delivered an absolute fucking goddamn home run in every sense of the phrase imaginable. So, uh, Cherry Moore, I think their Spotify bio, it lists, um, Bring Me the Horizon, Linkin Park, Don Broco, and Dance Give a Dance as, like, influences on their sound, and you put all those acts together, four of my favorite acts of all time, by the way, and yeah, I would say you do get Cherry Moore's core sound through that amalgamation, and Burn is the best example of, like, what they mean by describing all those acts as influences on them. I would also say, like, um, there's a lot of, like, R&B-driven stuff happening here, and it's so clean, so fucking smooth, I cannot get enough of Burn. It was number five in Spotify rap for me this year in terms of, like, my most played songs. I thought it would have been, like, top three or top two. Um, I cannot count on, in any possible manner, the amount of times I've heard Burn this year. I cannot count the amount of times I plan on listening to Burn for the rest of my life, because this is a song that when Cherry Moore blow up and they get bigger and bigger and bigger, I personally will look back on Burn and be like, God damn, that's really where it all started. That is where the legacy of Cherry Moore began. So for number nine, I remember when I reviewed the record that this song is on, I referred to this particular track as this band's Amo album in the sense of like, here is a band that released a record that is primarily heavy and primarily metalcore, yet here is this song that kind of embraces like a pop sensibility in a lot of ways, and I think it did it to pure perfection. Number nine is We Live in a Strange World by Spirit Box. But here's the thing when I say Amo moment, I I use the term Amo to describe We Live in a Strange World because when Bring Me the Horizon made the transition from metalcore to the alternative bass sound that they're doing right now, I believed in it. I bought it. I understood from the beginning that they were capable of pulling off that kind of a sound. With Spirit Box, if you go back to 2019 and you have me listening to like uh, Bleach Bath or Belcara or later on in the year Rule of Nines and you tell me that on their eventual debut album, there is going to be a song that I think kind of embodies a little bit of like what Amo represents to Bring Me the Horizon, I would have said, not only do I believe that's going to happen, but I think Spirit Box are going to excel at it. I had no reason to believe that at the time, but I could just understand that like, this is a band that is so fucking versatile and they can genuinely literally do whatever it is they want to with their sound. From the moment that you press play initially on We Live in a Strange World, the first thing you hear is Courtney just like come in and it sounds like her voice has like this electronic thing going on with it and that mirrors what's happening in the background instrumentally 
And for me personally, that first listening experience, I was just like, okay, this is different, but it's also really, really cool. I admire everything about what this track is telling me it's going to be from the beginning. I also can't emphasize enough the beauty that is found within Courtney's clean vocals. And again, from that opening line, I am coasting on nice dreams, lonely folding on each other and waiting for great things. It, it's, it sucks you in immediately. If you don't, like, if you're unfamiliar with Spirit Box and you don't have, like, that understanding of who they are and that background, listen to We Live in a Strange World right after hearing a song like, uh, Sun Killer or Holy Roller or Yellow Jacket and you immediately understand, like, okay, this band, like, they know no boundaries. They literally can do whatever they want to. I probably reiterate that phrasing, like, so many times now, but that is genuinely what I view Spirit Box as now after hearing We Live in a Strange World. Um, so the instrumentation, like I said, it's mainly like electronically backed in the verses. Once you get to the chorus, the rest of the band comes in and Courtney, she doesn't necessarily like raise her voice, but there is like so much more authority in her tone. Once she sings the chorus sunken in, now we live in a strange world. You let the bastards grind you down, collapse the vein. So you don't drown sunken in. Now we live in a strange world. There was a quote that Courtney gave through Apple music about, uh, what we live in a strange world entails. And she explained that like, um, she wrote it initially before the the band started gaining like uh, attention and success and then once she actually went to go record the song earlier in the year she had a lot more to say about like just how strange of a transition this was because it felt like uh and i'm paraphrasing the quote it, it felt like she was kind of like watching as somebody outside of the band exactly what was happening and just seeing like more and more people suddenly know who you are and talk about like what you're doing as a livelihood it's a very very weird feeling and that is where the tone for we live in a strange world is set and uh you know it's something that i think like the message behind the track you can really just like take with you in your life in any endeavor that you have regardless of like whether you're in a band or in the limelight or literally just like you know on your own in those moments when you need to remind yourself that we do live in a strange world just go ahead and do it and acknowledge that like you know, there will be some things that we don't really have control over, but that doesn't mean we have to let them break us down. So to go back to one of the lines in the chorus, don't let the bastards grind you down. Just stand your ground. And I know for me personally, I've had a few moments this year where I feel like we live in a strange world. It's kind of speaking to me. And in those moments, I do, to kind of speak on what Courtney said about her own life, I do look at myself in those instances as like, an outsider like as if i'm watching the situation unfold and yeah we just we we do indeed be living in a strange world that much is true number eight comes from an artist who i have already discussed in the top 20 so i don't need to introduce her too much and i said that she has like two different sides to her that she explored this year i talked about one of them with so mean i'm gonna talk about the other one now number eight is eat by poppy There is this layer of vulnerability that Poppy is displaying in Eat that I want to commend her for because it's never easy as an artist to open up about the things that you're feeling or the things that you have felt 
in the past, even if that is like quote unquote meant to be your job. So Poppy has said before that eat is about an unspecified eating disorder that she dealt with previously. And once you get into the lyrics, like it becomes pretty apparent, like, yeah, that is what's going on right here. Um, and that makes some of the lines on here even more eerie, like in the pre-chorus. Do you want another piece? Would you like one, two or three? What would you like to eat? I said, what would you like to eat? And yeah, that is like just so like on the fucking nose about what is happening here. There, there's nothing like metaphorical about the lyrics. Poppy is not masking what she's trying to say through different like, you know, cool wordplay or whatever. She is just kind of putting everything out there that she feels need to be said. My brain is poisonous. My body is a mess. My heart is hazardous. Who could I be instead? I tell everyone that I'm okay, but I'm ashamed. I'm afraid. And it all eats at me. And, and knowing like exactly what this song is about, I don't want to try and like uh, frame it in a way that I'm like, oh, you can relate this song to any disorder. Yeah, I, I suppose you could, but with respect to Poppy, I want to focus specifically on this topic of eating disorders because I don't want to make it sound like I have one or I had one, but here's what I will say. After, and again, I'm fucking sorry if like I keep reiterating the dumb shit, horrible shit that happened to me this year, but it's my fucking top list. I, 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 I need this. So just please bear with me. I'm really, really sorry, but just thank you at the same time. Um, so after Mikasa, my cat passed away, I was hardly eating. Uh, I haven't, I've never said this to anybody. So I was hardly eating. I started feeling like anything I was trying to digest, my body just re like resisted it. And it wasn't until I went to a clinic to be diagnosed with anxiety. Uh, so the way that that clinic I worked, I, I went to works um, that was my first time being there. So like they had to like take a picture of me and that was me meant to be like my ID for the hospital. Um, online, I looked at the picture and I, okay. So I'm already like a naturally skinny person. I was skinnier in that photo and I legitimately just couldn't believe like what I was seeing and the effect that had on me mentally, like I had to work and work and work to a point where I could properly eat again. And there will be times like over the last couple months where I kind of start to slip back into that mindset of like something is happening to me. My body's just not taking this food and it sucks. It really, really does. And it's something that I am constantly having to learn to deal with and live with. And in that regard, eat just became this song that I already admired so much from the moment I first heard it when Poppy premiered it at a Grammy event back in March. But with this new added context to it, this very, very dark and unfortunate context, I came to appreciate Eat on a level that I didn't prior, and I just cannot thank Poppy enough for delivering a song like this. And that's what the song means to me lyrically. Instrumentally, Eat is everything that I love so much about Poppy from the final uh, stretch on Am I a Girl into... It, I disagree that chaotic nature of her where like one minute she's just like singing and the song sounds pretty cool and then the next minute she's screaming the instrumentation doesn't really know what it wants to do and that like um that partnership that Poppy has with the instrumentation it makes for one of the most enjoyable listening experiences I had all year and I cannot express enough like the amount of gratitude that I have to Poppy for Eat I think it's one of the best songs that she has ever written and Eat is a song that for the right and wrong reasons I will be taking with me out of 2021 into, you know, the rest of my life. Okay, so it's time for number seven. And I, I want to 
express this now and explain this now. So this is my first year actually putting my top favorite songs of the year like on some kind of a platform that is accessible to everybody. But ever since like 2005, 2006, I've been keeping track of this shit just for myself, for my own entertainment and just like records and stuff like that. So, you know, this has been ongoing for more than half of my life. And I, I want to put that out there so that what I'm about to say can at least kind of make sense to all of you listening. Number seven is kind of history making as it pertains to my own personal year end stuff that I do every year. Because this is, um, okay, so actually I'm going to say the name of the song in the band, play the clip, and then explain how this is historical. Number seven is Die For You by Bring Me The Horizon. Okay, so the historical significance of Die For You comes from the fact that every year since 2008, as long as Bring Me The Horizon has had music out for a year, I have named them Song of the Year. So literally all the way from Chelsea Smile in 2008 up to Teardrops last year, every year they do something, I give them that award. Actually, they earn that award out of me, let me put it that way. And the fact that Die For You is number seven, I don't want that to make it seem like I was let down by this song or disappointed by it in any fashion. That's not true. I absolutely love Die For You. I adore Die For You. I think Die For You is everything that I want Bring Me The Horizon to be doing right now, and I'll elaborate on that in a minute. But there were just six songs that I felt represented different aspects of my year more thoroughly than Die For You, and that's ultimately why it comes in at number seven. Um, so when I said like Die For You represents what I want Bring Me The Horizon to be sounding like right now, um, I, I love Posthumous Survival Horror. It's one of my favorite releases ever. I adore every minute of it. Um, at the same time though, I really, really, really like Pop Bring Me The Horizon. I really love what they were doing on Amo and I selfishly want more of it. So my hope is that with the second installment of Posthuman, which is supposed to be coming in the next few months, early 2022, I want Die For You to be an indicator of the direction that record is going to take. I want more Pop Me The Horizon. I want more of them that sounds like what Die For You is offering. Because Die For You has its moments where, sure, it gets kind of heavy. But for the most part, all the way through, Die For You is the exact opposite of what somebody who's like really into Dear Diary or Kingslayer wanted. And I love that shit, dude. I love it when Bring Me go that route and understanding like there are going to be so many people that are just like so pissed off that it's not heavy. But you know what? Fuck them. I love this shit, dude. And uh, Die For You, I love the pacing of it. I love the initial buildup to it. I love like the weird factor that Ollie has in his voice when he's reciting the lines in the chorus. The, you know that I die for, I cry for, you know that I die for you. And just that effect and the way that it translates into the verses that have like a little bit of like an in the dark vibe to me. At least that's like what I was picking up off of it. And the chorus, you know, it soars and it explodes in the exact manner that I want any Bring Me The Horizon chorus to soar and explode. I think they are one of the best bands in the world when it comes to writing choruses. They might just fucking be the best band, honestly. I 
I cannot say enough about like what Die For You has meant to me last few months, even if it's not number one. Number seven, I want it to be known like that is such an admirable spot to be in, given that I, I listen to like 4,000 songs this year, guys. Like, it, it's okay that Bring Me came in number seven. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest right now. It's fine. It's okay. Not the end of the world. I'm sure that they'll win this fucking award next year since they're going to have like, what, six or seven tries at it? Um, assuming it's as long as, assuming Post Human 2 is as long as Post Human 1. Um, I, I think Die For You, again, is everything that I want to be the direction for Bring Me the Horizon moving forward, at least into Post Human Part 2. Uh, I remember when they were posting the, um, those like studio updates in quarantine back, uh, in the initial quarantine phase in 2020, there were a lot of tracks that they were recording that has like that electronic and pop sound to them. And some of that shit sounded really, really good. So I hope we get more out of that realm. Bring me going into 2022. And again, die for you. I want to be the mark that begins all that. So number six, this is this band's second time appearing on this top 20 episode. Um, and the reason why I have this track being the highest ranked from their record this year is honestly because of like how unique and different it sounds compared to the rest of the material. Material that I do love, but there's just something about this track and the way that it was executed and laid out that I think really, really is the shining achievement of this band this year. Number six is Ex Mortis by Ice Nine Kills. I think for me, what makes Ex Mortis my favorite Ice Night Kill song this year is because of just like how much it reminds me of certain other acts from the scene that you wouldn't think Ice Night Kills could blend into their kind of a sound. So there's like a real like swing vibe going for Ex Mortis that I think about like Panic at the Disco and My Chemical Romance whenever I hear something like this. Um, the other one that really, really jumped out to me was Avenged Sevenfold, and I think what I mean by that is there were some moments on Avenged Sevenfold's self-titled record from 2007, I guess namely A Little Piece of Heaven, where the band like really, really dips into their Danny Elfman bag, and they were able to kind of just like um bring these elements into a like metal-based sound that you wouldn't think would fit in, you wouldn't think belong there, but the way that they use those elements to make this kind of like a show tune-esque Broadway sound within the confines of metal, and I guess in the case of Ice Nine Kills Metal Core, it was outstanding. And I think a lot of that carries over into Ex Mortis. Um, it sounds like this like really grotesque, malevolent Broadway production. That is what I hear when I listen to Ex Mortis. The track itself is based off of The Evil Dead, and I like okay, reading the lyrics to it, you you can make the uh the parallels to the evil dead universe and the way that the lyrics integrate perfectly into the nature of that movie and the plot line of it which is what they do on every song for welcome to harwood all but two i keep having to fucking reiterate that why did they have two songs that didn't have anything to do with movies anyways i know why but still point stands um ex mortis especially like in the the verses that lead up to the choruses that uh like swing jazz kind of a feel to it I I think it really, really blends perfectly with uh, Spencer's delivery on those ends, 
and just certain things that like um he does to his voice and the effects in them they really 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 just elevate ex mortis to this other level that I, I felt comfortable naming it one of the top 10 songs of the year the song that just barely barely missed the top five mark for that matter um i hear this track and i just like i imagine in my head like i sign kills performing this similarly to how like um uh bring me or architects did with the royal albert hall and having like this fucking like uh, orchestral backing for the track because it feels like the kind of song that is meant to have that sort of support it demands it and i just feel like ex, ex mortis display to me this element of ice and kills that i didn't even know was there but i feel so fortunate and lucky to have been able to discover it this year okay guys top five holy shit we're doing it we're really fucking making this happen I'm still shaking, by the way. Like, I can't calm myself down. Um, okay, let's just move on. Let's go. Okay. Uh, I apologize if my breathing is, like, uh, accelerated or more apparent. Um, okay, number five. So, uh, last year, in terms of, like, viral songs for the scene, you had uh, Hypa Hypa and Holy Roller be the ones that, like, really, really took off, and they were big subjects of, like, reaction videos on YouTube. And there was one song this year that I think has a claim to being the most viral song of the year for the scene, because not, not only because of like the amount of YouTube reactions made to it, but it also took off on TikTok for a minute. I think it was in like the top 50 charts on Spotify's like viral section. Um, it easily became this band's most streamed song ever, even though it's only been around since June. And all of this happened to a deathcore song. And that is just like this really strange anomaly to me. And I'm going to go ahead and get into it now. Number five is To the Hellfire by Lorna Shore. Here are the tangible stats that I can pull up for To The Hellfire. On YouTube, the official music video as of right now, 5.7 million views. On YouTube, or I mean on Spotify as of right now, 10 million streams. And again, the song is about only 6 months old by this point. But the level of fame and notoriety that it has reached, I would have not imagined this beforehand. You know, I, I thought, okay, maybe the Lorna Shore you know new song with a new vocalist it can do well i don't doubt that but this has like eclipsed the streaming numbers and view count for so many like accessible songs and i want to emphasize that accessible because to the hellfire is anything but accessible there has to be like some kind of a gateway beforehand to get into to the hellfire this is not going to be the track that introduces you to heavy music like you kind of have to like follow a pathway beforehand because of the just absolutely brutal and heavy nature of this song honestly to the hellfire could be the heaviest song i've ever listened to in my life and i went into the track back in june not really knowing what to expect because this was lorna shore's first track with will ramos on vocals and i i, I knew he was impressive and i knew he had like a great screaming range uh, in terms of like highs and lows and uh, his breathing abilities when screaming. But even I was like taken aback just 
from the moment he comes into the track and from there to the hellfire just acts as the most just violent and thrashing song that Lorna Shore could have possibly put out. Like somehow on, on a heaviness scale, this eclipses everything that was on Immortal, which was already just like this weird contraption of deathcore and certain elements of death metal. And to the hellfire elevates all, all of what Lorna Shore did on that record. And I just feel like for this to be the song this year that like truly, truly blew up and elevated Lorna Shore to the point where they are now going to be opening for Bring Me the Horizon in the coming months. Like, it, it says something about not only the ability of Lorna Shore, but just also, like, the the reach, for for that matter, that the song was able to have. Um, and to me, it's not really a surprise why this song took off. Because it is unlike anything that anybody has ever listen, listened to before, whether or not they've heard Deathcore before, or they're into the genre at all. And that is all because of Will's just monstrous animal-like primal screams. Is that a fucking car? Actually, it wouldn't have been a fucking episode of this show without a car passing by my house, right? Um, so Will's screams, I think, make for an incredible reaction. And like all of the reaction videos on YouTube, that is like the point of them. Reacting to Will's screams and the kinds of noises that he makes. And all of that culminates in the outro of To The Hellfire. The outro might be the biggest moment of the year from any song just because of again those screams that will is making and it's not like anything i had ever listened to before i don't know when i will ever hear anything like that again from a vocalist that is not will ramos it's just something that is so characteristic of to the hellfire and like it's not even just like pig squeals or growls it's just like fucking just these really really gross and violent animal sounds and there's no way for me to properly explain how it sounds. You have to go out of your way to just go check out To The Hellfire. And I I understand that people listening to this, they might not be into deathcore. Like, you might not be able to stand that kind of a song. I am telling you, for just six minutes, just give To The Hellfire your time. You don't have to ever listen to it again, but I am asking all of you, if you've never heard it before, just listen to it at least once. I promise you, it's an experience that you're not going to forget. Number four is going to come from a band that I have already mentioned twice at this point on this series. So this is their third entry, the most amount of entries that any band can have. Um, it's really not a surprise to me that this band managed to fill all three spots that they could have possibly had within this series, because in my opinion, they are one of the best bands in the world right now. They had one of the best releases of the year, and this song is the absolute pinnacle of what they accomplished in 2021, in my opinion. Number four is Weapon by Against the Current. Weapon ended up becoming the kind of self-destructive anthem that I needed to I, I, I needed to hear this. I needed to have a song like this be embedded into both my heart and my brain and understand 
some of the like really, really bad tendencies that I have to be my own worst enemy. And I think that is a, a theme that is just like so prevalent in Weapon. And the, the way that Chrissy structures the song lyrically and just being so open and honest with herself and her audience about a, a topic like the one that Weapon deals with, it means the world to me that there's somebody who I look up to that was able to deliver this kind of a song. Um, it, it, it's pretty straightforward, I would say, like, what is going on with this truck when you look at the chorus. I see red, my blood is boiling, and it shows, and all you are is a weapon, you shoot him down till you end up alone. I seem fine, but I can't take the highs and lows, all I am is a weapon, I shoot him down till I end up alone. That idea of you yourself being a weapon that, whether you realize it or not, is just causing you all of this agony, all of this pain, and kind of just like trying to figure out like why is this happening and and what is the solution to this if there is a solution because maybe there's not one and or maybe there is one but it's not so apparent and i have always just felt like you know more often than not i am the reason for my sadness and my just overall bland unhappiness and um you know, it, it would be so easy for me to say it was this person's fault. It was this person's fault. It was the fault of like this collection of people for not accepting me or, or choosing to view me the way that I wanted them to view me. Well, there's probably a reason for that. There's probably something that I did and I don't know it. You know, a lot of that is why I'm in therapy. A lot of like what I've been talking to my therapist about over the last few months has had to do with like how I view myself and what my perception of others perceiving me is. Um, and maybe I've just gone like on too much of a tangent that has nothing to do with weapon, but like this is just what is surfacing to my head when I get the chance to talk about this song, and that's what's like on my mind. Um, just sonically, as far as like what weapon sounds like, this dives further into the heavier alternative style that Against the Current explored with Fever, and Weapon to me is like the pillar of the record. Weapon is a song that if you ask me like, uh, who is Against the Current and like what do they sound like? At this stage, I'm going to play Weapon for you because I think Weapon gives the best example of what Modern Against the Current are going for and what they achieved for that matter because I think that everything they wanted to do with Fever was done successfully. Um, there's also a part of the song. It is the bridge. Um, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or Instagram or maybe it was both, but recently Chrissy had said that um, she was performing the song live somewhere. It might have been Dallas. I'm not sure. And she sang the bridge and it kind of hit her at that moment, like how happy she is now and how she achieved what was meant to be done with this song. So the bridge goes, no, I won't go under. No, I won't back down. Bittersweet surrender. Everything is better now. And she said that she wrote that set of lines when things were not better, but there was like this hope within her that things could be better. And then once they got better and she was singing the song live, it, it clicked in her mind. Like she did it. She was able to make herself happier and weapon maybe isn't a song that applies to her as much now as it did back then. And I think for me personally, I, I see something like that. And I think like, maybe I can do this. Maybe I'm not too far gone. Maybe I can make myself happier. Maybe things can get better. I don't know how that happens because it feels like the amount of things that have to go right in my life for me to be happy, it's never going to happen. It's too impossible. But just maybe, maybe, maybe I'm lying and it's not impossible and it can happen. 
and I have to just like keep hope alive and make a song like Weapon, a track that means the world to me right now, but maybe, hopefully, you know, a few months from now, a year from now, I can look back on Weapon and say, that was how I felt, not how I feel. Okay, now, number three. So I'm gonna say this real quick. Um, explaining why number three is such a big deal to me has legitimately given me anxiety. I've thought in my head the last few weeks, what am I going to say about this track? And I haven't been able to figure it out. So literally, whatever I'm about to say, is just coming from my heart and my head all at once. And I'm just spewing it out there. And I don't mean to say that to like create this lore and be like, oh my god, so fucking scary. He doesn't know what to say. Uh, no, genuinely, I don't know what I'm going to say right now. And I'm scared and I'm anxious. And I... Again, this whole list, it was my choice, so I knew what was going to happen. I knew I was going to have to talk, talk about this song extensively, um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Number three is She Knows It by Maggie Lindemann. For me, She Knows It is the representation of a tale of my life for the last couple years. And again, like, I truly, truly don't know what I'm going to say or if I even really want to be saying any of this shit. But like, I guess I just feel like I owe the platform an explanation. Let me say this now. I don't owe any of you an explanation. And I don't mean to say that in like an asshole or dickish way. I just truly, truly don't like owe it to any of you listening to tell you what she knows it sounds like i feel like i owe it to the concept of the top 100 songs because if i just introduce she knows it and be like oh yeah it's good and then i move on to whatever number two is i'm i'm doing a disservice to the idea of having this entire list that i've spent you know all this time just like putting together and then spent however many hours i have over the last week uh, recording these episodes and releasing them for me to just like completely pussy out of explaining why she knows it is such a big deal to me, I can't do that. So, again, let's go ahead and see what happens with whatever I explain. So, she knows it, I identify with it wholeheartedly. Um, the, the idea of like this unrequited love and the extent to which it bothers you, and I. This is so hard. Genuinely, this is really, really hard. Um, okay, let me talk about the song um, instrumentally first, so then maybe I can like figure out what I want to say lyrically. So, instrumentally, sonically, truthfully, there's not a ton special about She Knows It, and I can admit that now. It's a very, very straightforward pop-punk song. There's not a ton of innovation going on here. This isn't something akin to like um, Spirit Box or Ice Line Kills, where like I can just come on here and be like, oh my god, this part, and then this part, this part. No, the song is like pretty straightforward the way that it's structured. There is nothing crazy going on here, but I think what that does is show the prowess that Maggie has in the pop punk genre and how when it comes to the pop punk revival and people want to throw out names like MGK and Jaden and Lil Huddy and Kenny Hoopla and whoever else before they throw out Maggie, you've, I'm saying you've never listened to her before. That's general, genuinely how I feel. Um, anybody who's not viewing Maggie as being at the forefront of this whole genre revival, it's because they haven't heard about her yet. Um, 
she is an absolute fucking star. She's been a star this whole time. It was just this year that like, I think slowly the scene started to kind of figure that out. And again, it's still not enough of the scene that has that understanding yet. Maggie just controls a, a song. She controls a show. She controls a room. She is everything that, uh, you know, the, the scene should be gassing up with this whole pop punk revival stuff. Um, the chorus itself is just like so fucking catchy. And even like for me who just like has this like sense of uncomfortability with the chorus, I can still just like sing along to it easily. I like a girl that's got a boyfriend, can't seem to get her out of my head, and she knows it should be me in her bed. She knows it, she knows it, she knows it. It's just catchy. And again, like it's very just teenage angst. I understand that. Um, it's probably embarrassing for somebody of my age bracket to be relating to this kind of a song, but um, I can't lie to you guys. That's just you know that's really what's happening here um the bridge this was one of those instances where like i was just so caught off guard because um ever since may maggie had been teasing the song there was like a small hint of a demo posted on social media and you can make out the pre-course and the chorus from that and uh, so you know i kind of had already heard the song outside of the bridge by the time that it dropped the last friday of october um, the way that the bridge is laid out and how it's like kind of one of the only different parts of the song. You seem lonely and it's so damn cruel because you're so back and forth like you're striking a chord and then leading me on when you know that's wrong in denial. Everybody sees it but you. The way that Maggie is able to carry that section and there's like this added sense of desperation in her vocal tone in that part of the song compared to everything else. Um, I just, I, I think with this song... It's a track that, you know, it, it would have done wonders for me years ago. Um, but I think after enduring the last few years that I have, like from a personal standpoint, I feel like I had to go through all of that to be able to appreciate She Knows It the way that I do now. Um, it's the kind of song that it just feels like, um, you know, somebody like fucking scanned my brain and out came these words and then you put the words on paper rearrange them and you get some kind of a lyrical concept similar to she knows it um i absolutely love this song i think it is just one of the fucking best things to come out of this year um again sure there's nothing truly like innovative or unique about it but in its simplification, I feel like Maggie still managed to achieve perfection. And I, I can't thank her enough for the delivery of this track and at the time that she delivered it too. And I've had some really, really hard weeks lately. And this is still a song that I'm able to just default to. And it, like even throughout its painful narrative, it's still something that can like just sort of brighten my mood and i need as much of that nowadays as i can possibly get um she knows it means everything to me it's the exact song i need right now and i don't think i said everything i really wanted to with this track but again like just understand there are some things that i really really just can't talk about number two was actually not number one the week that it dropped in scenic overlook it was number two that week and the reason why it was is because i thought i would be so fucking cute if i put midnight by creeper at number one that week because i wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was 
when the reality of the situation is, for as good as Midnight is, this truly was the best song that week, and ultimately, I think it is the second best song of the year. So, the runner-up for the first ever Levi and Armin Award, number two is Secret Garden by Spearbox. So for me, songs two and three detail the two biggest hardships I've had to endure over the last couple of years. Um, number three, she knows it having been over something that, again, I don't really, really want to talk about, um, at least not yet. Um, Secret Garden is, for me, the Mikasa song. Um, so this song released about a week after uh, she passed away, and... I remember, I've, I've mentioned my mom's apartment quite a bit in this series, more than I thought I would. Um, but I was just sitting there waiting to get picked up and I, I saw that Secret Garden dropped. So I went ahead and listened to it and I don't know if I was like still in the right headspace to like really try and be grasping new songs and like, especially when they just kind of remind me of certain things about Mikasa but I went ahead and heard it, and I was... So firstly, just from like a, a pure Sonic standpoint, absolutely floored by Secret Garden, even having already understood how just fucking magnificent and monstrous and special Spirit Box is to the scene, I was still taken aback by just how good Secret Garden is. Um, it's one of those songs where things are kind of scaled back, like at least with regards to what spirit box normally do there is no screaming in this track courtney just employs her amazing cleans um and i love that because i think lyrically the song called for that but also instrumentally um a detour from singing would have felt weird in my opinion um so uh just the way that she's able to integrate her voice into whatever's going on around her um, the chorus is just one of like the most beautiful moments of the year for me in music. Nobody waits for me, but I know. Nobody takes from me what I grow. Secret Garden, disregard my heart. Um, and again, just like the, the explosiveness of everything that's happening at that point in the song, I just like really, really admired right from the beginning. And then I, okay, so this is like an actual like real life moment. I will never ever forget just because of like how deeply it's engraved into my mind and anytime i hear this part of the song this visual is what comes to mind so uh i'm listening to the secret garden for the first time my mom texts me that she's waiting outside for me to take me home so i leave her apartment and um so when you exit my mom's apartment to get to the the place that she was parked, you kind of had to like walk through um, this like area and there's like trees and like some plants and it, it looks like almost like a, like a, almost like the, um for lack of a better way of phrasing it, the garden section at Walmart, if you guys know what I mean, just like pots and plants and like bricks and all that kind of shit. That's what it like reminds me of. So I'm walking through 
this area and it's sunny and like the sun's just beaming down on me and I'm listening to this song while looking at like all of the plants and the trees and the, the leaves around me and the ending of the song comes on and Courtney is repeating the line, nobody waits for me, nobody takes from me. And so anytime I hear that section of the song, that's what I visualize. Just walking through that section of my mom's apartment and just hearing, or I mean like just having the sun beaming down on me, just looking up, seeing the bright light and understanding like I, like I really, really do live in a world that I have to learn how to navigate now. Um, nobody waits for me. Nobody takes from me. What that tells me is Secret Garden kind of details like, um, isolation but like good isolation the kind of isolation that like people need just to get away from certain things certain like bullshit aspects of life so the idea that like we can have like our own secret gardens and like just a, a place where we go to find like peace and tranquility just away from whatever is happening around us that is like really really bringing us down and the idea that in this like special secret place that i could possibly have or hypothetically have Nobody waits for me. Nobody takes from me. Nobody is waiting to, you know, do whatever it is that they're going to do to me. And nobody takes from me. Nobody takes my, my, my love for the things that I love. Nobody takes the things that make me me. And theoretically, in this special, like, imaginary place that doesn't exist, nobody would take my best friend from me. And, you know, these were all things that just like really, really resonated with me when I was hearing Secret Garden for that, that first time and every instance afterwards. And again, like the whole scenic overlook thing about this song being number two that week, I, again, I just thought I was like making some kind of a point with not having this number one, but reality was like, man, if something's going to be number one, just fucking make it number one. Like, fuck, fuck you, man. As in me, fuck me. Um, Secret Garden is the absolute pinnacle of one of the most fulfilling, you know, years that any band has ever had. I just, I'm so happy with Spirit Box and what they provided for me this year. And Secret Garden feels like the epitome of all that. This is the song that I just really, really hold so close to my heart. And I, I honestly do not know what, um, that immediate period over the summer after Mikasa's passing would have been like without Secret Garden. And then later on, um, I remember, God, it might, it might have been like in September or October. I can't remember exactly. Um, it, it was, so, um, my two cats, Levi and Armin. Um, Armin was sleeping next to me and then Levi was sleeping in my arms. And this song was playing in my AirPods and just, for whatever reason, when that outro came on, I just stared at them and I just sang to them, nobody waits for me, nobody takes from me. And that is everything that Secret Garden means to me. Okay, I'm actually, like, genuinely right now about to cry, and my voice is going to start cracking, and I'm really, really sorry, and I'm sorry if this is, like, uncomfortable or weird or dumb or whatever, but you guys need to understand, like, music has genuinely saved my life. Music is everything to me. This is the medium that I owe everything I have to. Um, and, and for as painful as some of these tracks have been to, like, really, really detail what they mean to me, I needed to do this. I needed to go that extra mile to explain why these are my favorite songs of the year. And now I'm, I'm at number one. Like, this is literally the end of it. I've detailed 99 fucking songs and explained why they mean so much to me, and now I'm at the end. 
so this is it this is the song when when i look back on all the other tracks i've named song of the year the last couple years uh teardrops medicine mantra incredible chucky versus giant tortoise follow you drown sleepwalking all these tracks like this is in alignment with them this song is just as good as any of those and now I actually really get to explain why, because I've talked about this song before twice, once when I reviewed it as a single, and then once when I reviewed it as part of the record. And I held back purposely because I knew the song was going to be somewhere near the top of the list, and then it wasn't until maybe like a month ago at this point that I started thinking to myself, this actually could be number one. And I, yeah, it happened. So, number one. The winner of the first ever Levi and Armin Award is Butterflies by Between You and Me. Yeah, Butterflies, Between You and Me. Um, okay, so, uh, first time I heard the song was not right when it dropped. It dropped September 30th. I didn't listen to it until that weekend because that's just what I was doing with the singles. Um, but I looked at the list of singles and, um, I can't remember if Butterflies was like number one alphabetically that weekend for me to hear or i just chose to hear it first because i was like oh new between you and me song i want to hear that first but either way it was the first single i listened to that weekend and i remember just standing in my living room hearing the song and as soon as like that like slow build intro stops and you get straight into the verse i i realized and recognized something happening in my head and i was like this is fucking perfect like, not even amazing, not just outstanding, like, this is, like, th th there's substance here, like, more than what anybody could possibly be expecting from a band like this. Even me, somebody who knew at that point full well just how talented Between You and Me are. And I heard the rest of the song, and it was like, I couldn't stop beaming. Like, my face just lit up, I had this, like, big-ass smile, I was just, like, in complete awe at what I had just listened to. And it wasn't, like, revolutionary or unique or just, like, this wasn't a genre-shattering song. It's not going to change the face of pop punk. It's not going to be the kind of song that, you know, years from now, every band that comes along looks back on this song and is like, oh yeah, Butterflies got me into music and wanted, made me want to make music. That's not going to happen, but it should. Because Butterflies feels like a, a generational song that just achieves everything that I could ask for any sector of music to achieve, not just within pop punk, but like, you know, I, I want every fucking genre out there to have a song within it that just like brings everything to light and surface in a positive manner, the way that butterflies does. Um, so there's a lot of like, uh, 
I guess like two-faced stuff going on with butterflies at least like what I can uh perceive from the music video but then also the lyricism and then also just how I am processing all these things so the music video for butterflies is kind of weird honestly um so it has a couple dancing within an apartment and then in certain sections of the video they're like um on like a, a parking garage rooftop and the, the clouds are hovering over them and it's really really dark looks like it's about to rain and i i go through this music video often and i kind of think like the juxtaposition between these two scenes they're the only two settings in the music video but you know you have one room and there's not like sunlight coming in but there is light there there's a way to make out things and then the other end of it there's just like almost complete darkness and regardless of what the setting is, how much lighting there is, what the weather is, the couple is dancing. And it's just, at, at least to me, I look at this and think like, what it's trying to tell me is just keep going. Just keep latching on to the things that you love and the things that make you happy, no matter what what's happening in your life. No matter, like, metaphorically what the weather is. Like, through the bad times and the good times, just, you know, be there and be attentive for the things that you love and the people that you love. And I really, really do admire that message. It's something that I want to convey more of in my life. Butterflies gives me a sense of posit positivity that I know I'm not worthy of uh, obtaining. I, I shouldn't be listening to this song and feel like it's connecting to me because for being such a brooding and depressing person, I don't think butterflies is meant for me, but the beauty I think comes from me wanting to change so that I can relate to butterflies more than I already do. Um, the song is very, very, like, just adorable with its lyricism. She's a pretender, a beautiful disguise, looks so confident but doesn't realize she's a keeper. I can't get her off my mind. Let's catch an Uber as we ramble on about our lives. Like, the, 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 the happiness that is just being, um, exuded in the song, it's infectious. Like, it's hard for me to hear this song and be in a bad mood. No matter what's happening in my life, how I feel, how hurt I am, how much pain I'm in emotionally and mentally, um, Butterflies is able to pick me up every fucking time. And I just feel so appreciative and grateful for that to be the case. Um, the chorus comes in, and there's a particular line in the chorus that over the last two months that I've had Butterflies, you know, as a part of my catalog, I go back to all the time. Tell me, tell me what you're thinking about. How the hell did we wind up back here again? Tell me, tell me what you're all about. How many days are left till I see you again? So it's the second line that is just like striking me at my core. How the hell did we end up back here again? And for better or worse, there are a lot of things happening in my life right now that I just have to ask myself, how the hell did we end up back here again? How did we not learn from past mistakes? How did we not realize that, you know, this could be something bad? Yet, here we are again, back in this seemingly impossible spot that no matter how many times I try to move on from it, I always end up back there. And again, for better or worse, because this line applies to good aspects of my life where I'm like, how did I get how did I get here again? Like, how is this actually something that's happening to me again, but in a good way? And then on the opposite end of that, there are a lot of really, really shitty aspects of my life right now where I look at it and I'm like, what did I do to put myself back here? But again, there is beauty and just like 
um, cynicism within butterflies. There is light and there is darkness. That's conveyed through the music video. And I have to understand that a line like, how the hell did we end up back here again? That is going to be a part of me forever for both good and bad reasons. Um, the, the idea of butterflies being the song of the year, you know, I've, I said for about a month now, I have been like of that mindset where I understand that this was a completely plausible reality and specifically being in Starbucks and just, um, sitting down there looking out the window, the Starbucks that I go to near me, there's this giant ass window, like completely fucking like, um, okay, this might be an exaggeration, but like a window that like covers the entire wall and you just like, you're kind of forced to look outside of there no matter where you're sitting in, in the, the restaurant establishment, whatever. And I remember getting to Starbucks and it was about like maybe four o'clock and, you know, sun is still out, looks great. And I'm listening to butterflies and, you know, I feel like the sense of happiness within me. And then later on around like 630, I'm about to leave. It's dark outside. I'm listening to butterflies again, looking at the night sky this time. And I still feel that sense of happiness. So I'm like, okay, there's something here. No matter like what I'm seeing visually, whether it's light or dark, the same exact emotions are being formed within me when I hear butterflies. And what that tells me is that, you know, beyond just like a surface level thing, there is this true sense of just like a universal love and admiration that I can find within butterflies. No matter what is happening in my life, no matter what it looks like outside, no matter what is going on, butterflies is a song that I can default to and just feel a sense of happiness over. And butterflies is the kind of song that I feel like I'm not, I guess, worthy enough of having and maybe that's like so self-deprecating to say but that's just genuinely how i feel i'm not worthy of loving butterflies but i want to be and that sense of hope and optimism is part of the reason why it's number one because secret garden and she knows it i love those songs but they are so tied to these really really difficult aspects of my life that i still have issues grasping but butterflies i can listen to it and i can feel optimism i can feel hope i can feel like you know that happiness that is found within butterflies the, the song and the video i want that and i feel like maybe there's something within me that i need to channel and i can get there and butterflies taught me that butterflies was the song that made me realize i i want to be happy i don't want to be the way that i've been i don't want to be this fucking sad depressing emo brooding ass boy anymore i want to be happy and i feel like with butterflies within me now maybe i can do it that's it that was the top 100 songs of 2021 that genuinely took everything I have from me, like, wow, okay, I'm spent, I'm tired, but I just did that, guys, I did it, I did it, um, whether you listen to one part of this series, or the, all the parts, or just like portions of a part, or whatever, if you press play on any of these parts, no matter how long you heard it for, thank you, just thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I, I can never express what anyone's support for this platform means to me. And thank you for letting me have the time and place to explain why all these songs are so important to me. And now I gotta do it next week for records. Um, yeah, okay, so thank you for listening.
I hope you enjoyed this series. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a goddamn motherfucking scene, okay? <laughs> <laughs>